It has been the flip side of the world. You're different. You're a new creation. And so you're called to be different. So I appreciate that, brother. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go to his word. The flip side of the Lord of this life is what you have called us to do, be. I praise you that when you have saved us, Lord, we're different. We are a new creation in Christ and created in him for good works. And so, Spirit, I pray that you will come, that you will speak through me, and that you will change our hearts so that we can be the things that God wants us to be, the people of God. So I pray now that you would take my words and apply it to the hearts of your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When it comes to losing weight or going on a diet, there are hundreds of diets and fads or quick fixes. And because, you know, we live in a culture where people want instant results. We want it now. I want to lose the weight now. The problem with those results from dieting gimmicks is that they don't always last. You can lose the weight three months later, four months later, you put it back on. You see, the reason they don't last is because once you get off the program, once you get off of it, you return to your unhealthy eating patterns. You return to, to what you used to be. And, this, and when you think about relationships, if you use relational gimmicks and fads to try to change your relationships, they may look different for a while, but once you stop using them, you return to your unhealthy ways of relating. <coughs> what I mean by this, think about this. A wife finally confronts her husband for his years of neglect of her and the kids. The husband feels guilty. He's broken of it. So what does he do? He plans a week-long vacation to Disney World. And so for seven days, he's the perfect husband. He's engaging. He wants to engage in conversation with the wife. He's spending time with the kids. But what happens when they come back from Disney World? What happens when the seven days of vacation is over? Everyone returns to what they used to do. The husband resumes his neglect of the family. The wife resumes her resentment towards the husband, and the kids continue to act out to get attention. You see, the vacation was a quick fix solution. It's like putting a band-aid on a cut that needs stitches. If your marriage is in trouble, a vacation ain't going to fix it. It ain't going to help it. You need something deeper. You see, gimmicks and fads, they can help you lose the weight, but... That's just one half of the battle. The second half of the battle is keeping the weight off. How do you keep it off? And that requires more than a 12 or 20 week eating program. And restoring your relationships to health and keeping those relationships healthy requires more than a book, requires more than a conference. You know what it requires? A lifestyle change. It requires a lifestyle change. Rearranging your values, your priorities, your pursuits, and your responsibilities. That's what it takes to have a healthy relationship and to maintain that health. You see, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about a serving faith, what it is, how it affects us, 
This week we're going to talk about a serving faith as a lifestyle change in your relationships. Moving away from gimmicks and fads to something that brings lasting results. The most important relationship you have outside your relationship with Christ is the one with your family. It's the one with your family. That's the second most important relationship you have on this earth. And within a family, there should be a priority of relationships. The husband and wife, then the parents and the kids. And this morning, we're going to look at a servant faith as a lifestyle in your marriage. I may step on some toes. You may get mad. I'm just a messenger. Take it up with the Lord. I'm not an expert either, so I had a lot of help with this. So this is what the Lord put in my heart, and I'm going to share it. And if you're not married this morning, don't tune me out. Because the Lord still has a word for you as well. So before you can dive into this lifestyle change, you know, you need, there's something you need to understand about marriage. And to have that understanding, you've got to go back to the beginning when God created all things. You see, there is a phrase that is repeated during God's works of creation. And it says, God saw that it was good. Every time God created something, the Lord saw that it was good. And in Genesis 1.21, the Lord said, I saw everything, the Lord saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. Question, what was the one thing that was not good? Anyone know? What was the one thing that was not good? Yes, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God created a helper fit just for the man, and it was a woman. The man Adam, the woman Eve, they became husband and wife, one flesh. Theirs was the first marriage, and in the beginning it was good. It was perfect. Everything was great. But the blissfulness, the goodness didn't last because they sinned against God, and they fell, against, and they fell from grace. And as a result, my marriage... Your marriage, your future marriage, we have to deal with sin, conflict, and tension because of that. The Lord speaks of this in Genesis 3.16. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What does that mean, Alex? It means there will be an ongoing conflict and tension for leadership in the marriage. Who will be the leader? As a wife, a future wife, you will be tempted to take the leadership responsibilities of your husband away from him. You will have to battle that all the days of your life. And the husbands, future husbands, you will be tempted to abandon your God-given leadership to care and to provide for your wife in three ways. Either you do it by pursuing your own sinful desires or you try to rule over her. Third, You'll simply be passive and never ever take leadership responsibilities for anything. Which one of these are you? Which one of those would you be? So there's conflict in marriage. Because when two sinners come together for holy matrimony, there will be fireworks. There will be. There will be. Every man, every woman, you bring baggage into the marriage. I don't care if you come from a good family or a bad family. You still bring baggage. Just accept it, acknowledge it, and deal with it. We all have to. So the question is, how are we to do marriage well in the midst of tension and conflict? You know, when you think about 
a, a military soldier and his gun. He keeps it with him. He, he holds on to that gun. He takes it with him into battle. It's his. And now when he goes to clean that gun, he doesn't just get a cloth and just rub it down, give it a quick rub down. No, he has to disassemble the weapon, clean each part, and when he's done cleaning it, he reassembles the weapon. You see, giving your marriage quick rub downs like this and thinking that's going to solve all the problems, it won't. Quick rub downs for your marriage will never solve the problems in your marriage. Sometimes you've got to disassemble things and put them back together. And that requires patience, diligence, and sometimes hard work. Each spouse, each spouse has to do their part to keep the marriage clean. Each spouse has to do their part to keep the marriage clean. Having a good marriage is not by accident. It ain't going to fall in your lap. You have to work at it. And God, he's so good. He hasn't left us to wander like sheep here. Because in his word, he has given us a pattern for marriage that would help us deal with this tension and conflict. Ephesians 5.21 says, We are to submit and subject ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't forget that verse. Because everything we're going to say flows from that verse. Ephesians 5.21 We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This call to submit to one another will help each spouse to deal with the conflict and tension in marriage. This is mutual submission. It is self-denial. It's been other-centered. It's a call to sacrifice. It is a serving faith exercise in the context of marriage. Listen to what Dr. Legan Duncan says about mutual submission. He says, it means willing to be the least. It means being willing to wash the disciples' feet. It means being ready to prefer others ahead of yourself. It means doing nothing from selfless ambition, but from humility. It means not being self-assertive or insisting on others or insisting on getting your own way, but placing ourselves at this other's disposal and living so that our forbearance becomes a matter of public knowledge and serving one another. It is not a weak thing. It is actually a very powerful thing. You think about it, my friends. There are a lot of ways people seek for power in this world. Money. The ambition often fuels and expresses their power. Status, roles, positions enable them to express power and display power. All of those ways that power can be expressed can be taken away from human beings. But one power that cannot be taken from you, and it's your service. There is no one that can take away service and the power that comes with it from you. When both spouses serve one another this way, marriage becomes what God intended it to be. And you know what else it does when you serve one another this way? It means each spouse submits to one another by allowing the other spouse to fulfill their God-given roles in the marriage. See what I'm saying? When you serve one another this way, you allow the other spouse to fulfill his or hers God-given role within the marriage. We all have roles in marriage. Or you allow your spouse to fulfill their role. And all of this is done out of reverence and respect of Christ. Don't forget that. 
Don't forget that. Out of my relationship with Jesus, I am to be a good husband to Waikido. If Jesus is working in my life, if I'm growing in Christ, then I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good dad. That means I'm going to practice what I preach from the pulpit. That's what it means. My relationship with Christ has to have an effect on the way I live my life. On the way you live your life. Does it? It should. When Waikita and I were just dating, the Lord used her to show a lot about myself. I mean, a lot about myself. <laughs> and to be honest, I, I was a jerk to her. I was. And my problem was that I tried to mold her, shape her into the woman I wanted her to be for me. I was going into the ministry. I was going to be a pastor. So my wife had to look a certain way. She had to believe the things I believed. And so I gave her theology books to read. I sent her theology papers to read. You know, we were going to do a Bible study on theology over the phone. And that was my goal, was to make sure she believed what I believed down to the smallest detail. And the good thing about her is that she didn't let me do it. (laughs) That's a good thing. When your wife doesn't let you mold her into what you want her to be, that's a blessing to you, men. And I love that about her. She won't let me do it. She kept calling me out. I thought I was doing good things. And I was trying to change her, and I wasn't loving her well. And I had a conversation with a good friend, and he told me, he said, Alex, you're going to have to start believing God is in control of your life when it comes to marriage. You got to start believing that. And so I was finally convicted of my sin, of how I was sinning against her. And so I stopped pursuing her in order, in order to mold her. Instead, I pursued her to know her. There's a difference. I pursued her to know her once he convicted me of my sin. Because she was a child of God. And I wasn't appreciating that. All I was thinking about was what I needed. And so I had to stop focusing on what I needed. So I can become what she needed me to be as a man and as a leader. We have, all of us have a tendency to try to change people we're in close relationships with. Whether it's in marriage or in any other relationship. As a spouse, you have to stay in your role, as Mark says. Stay in your role as a spouse. What is your role as a spouse? Is you focusing on your responsibility in the marriage, not your, not your spouse's. Not telling her and him what they need to do. You need to be what God called you to be in the marriage. And as men, as leaders, God will hold us accountable for how we lead our wives. It's our responsibility as men to lead our families well. So husbands, what does your role look like this morning? How, how does it look? What is your responsibility? Look at Ephesians 5. If you got your Bibles, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to read verse 21 again. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Just hearing that should make you fall to your knees right now. Every husband. How did Christ love the church? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated their own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying this, it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's your responsibility to love your wife if you're married. If you're not married, when you get married, that would be your responsibility. Love is more than just a feeling and an emotion. It's an action as well. It's a continued action done out of delight, not duty. The Bible says, love is patient, kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's the kind of love. We are called to have for our wife, or your fiance, or your girlfriend if y'all, as y'all moving toward marriage. That's the kind of love. And the example that is set before us, the same love that Christ had for his church. The verse says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church through service and sacrifice. He laid down his life for the church, his bride. He laid down his life for her. He loved her and died for her so that he might sanctify her. What does that mean? It means to separate the church to himself. That's what sanctify means in this context. To separate the church to himself. And to cleanse the church by washing on the word that is baptism. He does all this to make his people beautiful before him. The verse says, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without wrinkle, without spot, or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. That is you, if you are a believer. This is what Jesus does to you as a believer. Make you beautiful. Make you whole. Without spots, without wrinkles. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He does all this for you. What is Jesus? He is a sacrificial servant leader for his people. A sacrificial servant leader. And every husband is called to be the same thing for his wife. A sacrificial servant leader. This requires a lifestyle change for some of us. And it means you are to be a good husband, not just on Valentine's Day, not just on birthdays, And not just to get out of the doghouse either. 
It's called to be a husband all the day, good husband all the days of your life. You have to strive to be this kind of leader. You have to be intentional to be this kind of leader. The type of leader that Christ is. Verse 28 says, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I mean, do you feel the weight of that? Do you? He who loves his wife loves himself. If I ain't loving my wife, then I'm not loving myself. According to what the Bible says. The same way you care for your body. How do you care for your body, man? You clean it. You feed it. Some of us exercise it. Some of us don't. <laughs> and you should provide the same care for your wife. To nourish her. To cherish her. As Jesus does to church. When you get married, it's no longer me and you. It's us. It's one flesh. Do you nourish and cherish your wife through loving service? If you're dating or engaged, are you practicing these things now? I mean, don't just wait till you get married to say, well, I guess I need to be a good husband now. Practice it now. Ask God to mow you into that man now. You see, Paul says God has lavished us with his grace. Husbands, lavish your wife with as much love and affection as she can stand. Do that for her. You see, a pastor friend of mine told me, he went, to, he went through an extended part of time not taking care of his wife. You know, he's preaching good sermons on Sunday, doing great things for the church, but he didn't love his wife well. And listen to what she told him. This is what she told him. She said, when you get up to preach, husband, you think I'm leaving to go help in the nursery. But I'm leaving because I don't want to hear what you got to say. This is what she told him. I'm leaving because I don't want to hear what you got to say. Good pastor. Love people. But his own wife said, I don't want to hear what you got to say. It means you can do great things for the kingdom you can do great things in business. If you are a jerk at home, it does not honor God. I can come up here and preach sermons. I can meet you in counseling. But if I'm failing at home, I'm not doing what God has called me to do as a husband. I'm not. There is a priority in life. All husbands will struggle to be this type of leader. Because it requires you to think less of yourself. And put your wife's needs ahead of your own. If you're not a husband, you will deal with it. Remember what I said earlier. There are three ways in which men abandon their leadership. Either by pursuing their own sinful desires, or trying to rule over your wife, or just being passive and not taking leadership ability. Which one are you? Which one will you be? Which one? Only you know that. I bet your wife knows too. Or your girlfriend. Which one will you be? See, my struggle is to be passive and not take leadership. I have to fight against that. I can't blame that up because I didn't have a father. I can't blame that all on him. And I'm just not stepping up to the plate. That's my natural tendency to be passive in my, in my, in, with my wife and not take leadership. So I have to fight that against that. And so you have to fight against it. You have to fight to be a sacrificial servant to your wife. Last week I went to the dentist. And as I was waiting in the waiting room, 
you know, I picked up a Sports Illustrated, you know. Of course, that's what guys do. And I, I was reading an article about a college football head coach who, who was pretty much a madman when it came to his job. I mean, I think he was, he's obsessed with, with his job. And his team had just won a big game. And so it's going to be four or five weeks until the next game. And so the wife, she was the one in the article, said she was looking forward to the break and spending time with her husband. You know what he told her? I'll give you two days. I'll give you two days. And she was like, two days? She told the reporter, I'll take what I can give. Great coach. Our wives should never have to speak those words. I'll take what I can get from him. If you do, you need to go repent to her and to God. As a man, you have three priorities. If you're going to be a leader or a deacon or elder in this church, you will have three priorities. That will be your relationship with Christ, your family, and your relationships with your neighbors. In that order. Jesus, family, neighbors. In that order. In that order. I'm passionate about family. I come from a not a good family background. And so I'm passionate about my family. And I want the people of this church to be passionate about their families as well. And so, what does it mean? Man, it means you may have to give up certain things. Sacrifice certain things. It means you can't work 80 hours a week, every week, and expect to be a good father and husband. It means you can't take every promotion. Go on every business trip. Because you've got to be a good husband. You know, one of my favorite movies is Cheaper by the Dozen. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie. But it had a couple of them now. You know, Steve Martin is in it. He's a head football coach. He, had, he was at a small school, and he got his dream job. To coach at the school he played at. He took the job. Oh, he had so much responsibilities, he couldn't be a good dad. And so, toward the end of the movie, he resigned. Why did he resign? Because I was failing as a husband and father. He said, if I fail there, I'll fail in life. So he took less so he can be more to his family. Do you have that same priority? Do I have that same priority? And Jesus said he died for his church. Are you willing to die for your wife and thank for other, die for her? Sacrifice other things for her. And it, it means more than bringing home a check. Being a husband means more than bringing home a check. You have to engage your family emotionally. Man, you are responsible for this. I'm responsible for this. And when things are bad, when we're not talking, we are called to initiate reconciliation, even when it's not our fault. Because we're the men. Because we're the leaders. It's self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is what it's all about. And how many of you are man enough to do it? That's a man to me who's willing to sacrifice things in his life for the sake of his family. That's a man. The culture has something different. To the word of God, a true man, a man's man, is a man who's willing to say no to certain things in life for the sake of his family. Are you that type of man? Am I that type of man? Your wife, our wives are God's gift to us. You have to submit to her by allowing her to be the helper that God has given you. Let her speak truth in your life. Let her correct you. 
Value her insights and opinions. Love and lead her in such a way that she finds great joy and security in sitting under your leadership. That she finds rest in sitting under your leadership because you are a good man to her. That's how we are to love. One Christian writer says, Men were designed to be made whole through the full expressions of their spouse's gifts and abilities. You were intended to be made whole through your wife's own gifts and abilities. Do you value that? He says, when people like that understanding, many suffer. Many suffer. Many suffer. There was, um, a couple of years ago, there was a PBS documentary about the Civil War um, directed by a guy named Ken Burns. And in this documentary, there was a letter written by Major Sullivan, I think it's Balo, Bolo, whatever, how you pronounce it. I think it's Balo, to his wife, Sarah. And I want you to listen to the words of this letter. July, July 14th, 1861. Camp Clark, Washington. My very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. At least I should not be able to write again. I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye while I, when I shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged. My courage does not halt or falter. I know how great a debt we owe those who went before us through the blood and sufferings of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love for country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me unresistibly on with these chains to the battlefield. The memories of these blissful moments I've spent with you come creeping over me. I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them for so long. It is hard for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might have still lived and loved together and seen our sons growing up to honorable manhood around us. I have, I know, but a few and small claims upon divine providence. But something whispers to me, Perhaps it is the prayer of my little Edgar that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. I do not, my dear, if I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. When my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive me my faults and my many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless and foolish I often been. How gladly would I wash out with my tears the very spot upon your happiness. But, oh, Sarah, if the dead could come back to this earth and move unseen around those they love, I will always be near to you in the gladdest and darkest nights. Always, always, if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it should be my breath. If the cool air fans your droppling temple, it should be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Thank I am gone and wait for thee, for we shall meet again. The major was killed a week later at the first battle of Bull Run, July 21, July 1861. None of us are, are that poetic, probably. But what he does for his wife here 
what he does for his wife here, how he affirms her, assures her, builds her up, strengthens her, shows her her value. Every husband is called to do the same thing. However way you do it, you're called to do the same thing. For he who finds a wife surely finds a good thing. Let us pray. Father God, I do pray that you will mold us as men to be good husbands to our wives. And I pray that uh, you'll show us how we can be better. And I pray for the wives, Lord, because we're going to talk about them next week. And, and I pray you will mold them into good wives and how they can serve their husbands better. And, and marriage is sacrifice, Lord. It's not giving half and half. It's sacrifice. So teach us to show us how to, what that really looks like. And if we're not married or if we're engaged, Lord, mold them into what, it, what they need to be to be a good spouse when they get married. And so I thank you, Father. I praise you, Father, for all these things. In Christ's name, amen.